Eufy is sponsoring today's video. They reached out to me. I tested out their video lock. It is a game changer. I'm going to paint a picture for you for why I'm so excited to work with them. So you're getting home. Your arms are loaded with groceries or packages or boxes or everything. And your keys are in your pocket. This drives me nuts. This happens all the time. I upgraded to the Eufy video lock. Fingerprint tap i'm inside and honestly i also feel way safer it's got this awesome built-in camera so whether it's a package delivery or late night uber order i see exactly who's there right from my phone there are no more mystery knocks and the best part this thing was such a breeze to set up there's no wires there's no drilling uh, there's also no monthly subscription fees so if you are done fumbling with your keys because i definitely am search for eufy video lock or head over to eufyofficial.com slash video lock your front door, your sanity. I just want to take a second and thank Policy Genius. They're supporting today's episode of Success Story. I know we all have kids. We all have families we want to take care of. And I personally check something off major on my to-do list, life insurance. It's a tough topic. It's really hard to think about, but it's so important. And the hard part was sorting through all the options. Luckily, I found Policy Genius. Policy Genius is an online insurance marketplace that makes getting life insurance surprisingly easy. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Now, knowing my family's protected brings me incredible peace of mind. Don't put off this important decision. Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Welcome to the Success Story Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Clary. On this podcast, I have candid interviews with execs, celebrities, politicians, and other notable figures, all who have achieved success through both wins and losses, to learn more about their life, their ideas, and their insights. I sit down with leaders and mentors and unpack their story to help pass those lessons on to others through both experiences and tactical strategy for business professionals, entrepreneurs, and everyone in between. Without further ado, another episode of the Success Story Podcast. Thanks again for joining me today. I'm sitting down with Scott Miller, Executive Vice President of Thought Leadership at Franklin Covey. Parent company to Stephen Covey's original property, IP, and work. So Dr. Stephen Covey wrote the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Now, Dr. Stephen Covey has passed, um, but his legacy lives on through Franklin Covey. So I just want to tee that up so you understand. Um, so uh, Scott at Franklin Covey is the EVP uh, of Thought Leadership. Um, he runs a podcast, a weekly podcast called On Leadership with Scott Miller, um, speaking about different leadership topics, interviewing business titans, authors, and thought leaders. Uh, he also writes a weekly leadership column for Inc. Magazine. Uh, Scott leads strategy, development, and publication of Franklin Covey's best-selling books and thought leadership, which provide the framework for the company's world-renowned content and solutions. He is the author of Franklin Covey's Management Mess to Leadership Success and co-author of the Wall Street Journal bestseller, Everyone Deserves a Great Manager. He is a spokesperson for the new edition of the number one most influential book of the 20th century, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, which has been redone for its 30th anniversary with insights from Dr. Stephen Covey's son, Sean. Um, so, Scott, very excited. I'm, I'm super excited to understand your career, you know, how you got to working for uh, Franklin Covey, 
And then also some of the things that we can learn from the book and, you know, the original works and, you know, what's, what's happening now. So thank you. I want to hear more about your career. I want to hear how you got into a 25-year stint. That's not really that normal anymore for most people. I'm a, I'm a dinosaur, Scott. <laughs> in a good, no, but in a good way. You're, you're tenured. You're tenured. That's, that's There you go. There you go. There you so, go. Thank you. So, so walk me through your career and then we can sort of understand what, what you're working on now. Sure. Well, thanks for the invitation to join today. Honored to be here. Let's see. I'm 52. I live here in Salt Lake City, Utah with my wife, Stephanie, and our three sons uh, who are six, eight, and 10. So if you see one of them behind me with their underwear on a sword running around, it won't be unusual, right? It's the new COVID work from home reality. 100%. It's highly likely one of them will hit me over the head with something. Uh, I've been at the Franklin Covey Company for just shy of 24 years. I actually am from Orlando, Florida born and raised in central Florida, worked for the Disney company, Walt Disney Company, for four years. After a nearly four-year stint there, they invited me to leave, which is the nice way Disney says, get out, we don't want you anymore. So here I am, kind of 26, I'm looking for a new career, and uh, Franklin Covey comes calling, right? Uh, the, the firm founded by Stephen Covey, as you mentioned, the author of The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And I moved to Utah which is, if you've been to Utah, it's a lovely state, but a single Catholic boy from Orlando moving to Provo, Utah was an amazing cultural shift. It's kind of like being Jewish and moving to Vatican City, right? Maybe yeah. good for a couple of weeks, but not 25 years. But it's been a great ride. Uh, 25 years in the company, started as a frontline salesperson selling our leadership development solutions, became a sales leader, went to London for a year, Chicago for six years as a sales um, managing director, came back, and Scott, I was the chief marketing officer for eight years, member of the executive team, and then about two years ago, stepped away from that role after eight years, and uh, now I'm leading our thought leadership. As you mentioned, I lead what is now the world's largest leadership podcast in the world called On Leadership with Scott Miller. Wrote a few books, got a few more books coming out, and uh, just trying to learn along the way and share some of the mistakes that I made in my career as a leader. And as you mentioned, I'm privileged to be a spokesperson for now the 30th anniversary of the Seven Habits book. Can you believe this book has sold 40 million copies? And uh, Dr. Covey's uh, son, Sean Covey, who wrote the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective Teens, which is the best-selling teen leadership book in history, added some new insights and applications. So I'm honored to be here representing Dr. Covey, who passed about eight years ago as a result of a head injury from a bicycle accident. But the book continues to sell 10,000 copies a week. It's insane. And I'm honored to be associated with his brand. That's, um, that's an incredible organization to work for. And I guess when I first, when, I, you know, when we first uh, connected, I was just very curious to understand how you go into a position in a leadership organization. The pressure must be extremely high because the standard and the bar has already been set and to be successful oh, yeah. in that environment. That's an understatement, right? I mean, on one aspect, you've got the concept of the cobbler's kids have no shoes, right? And do you really live your own content? And the other side is this extraordinarily high culture of high trust and high performance and high execution around strategy and goals. I think we do a superb job of attempting to live our content. Hey, we're a collection of humans, right? So we do things that are wrong. We gossip occasionally. We drop the ball occasionally. But really, we're a disciplined organization when it comes to our commitment to live what we teach. Yes, we fail. But I think with our chairman and CEO, Bob Whitman, who's led us for over 20 years, we have a very high standard for ourselves. We have a pre-forgiveness culture. 
we're going to make mistakes. But I think we set each other up for high accountability. And at the same time, we recognize that we're going to make mistakes given our standard. It's a great place to work. I've been very privileged. You know, people ask me all the time, why don't you leave 25 years? You'll never get a job. Well, I won't get a job again. You know, I'll probably go write and speak and an interview. But the reason I stay is our chairman, Bob Whitman. He loves me and he loves our employees. He loves my wife. and He loves my boys and he loves my future. And so as long as your leader loves you and you feel that most people tend to stay. That's probably one of the most um, just a, such a simple point, but it, it I think yeah. it ties over into so many different uh, different uh, use cases or just examples of why companies don't work or can't maintain or retain that talent. But we can get we Very can true. get into that. I don't want to go into that just yeah. yet because I want to I want to just understand. Walk me through the story of of the the book. So when 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 the book was first written, yeah. Um, how did that manifest and how did that lead into the organization that is today? Yeah. What was the story behind that? So gosh, you know, about 40 years ago, Dr. Stephen R. Covey was a professor here in Utah, had received his uh, a doctor, or a master's in MBA from Harvard, received a doctorate here from BYU, and was really studying literature around success. So he spent a decade performing what was kind of a 200-year uh, success literature review back before the internet, right? What really made successful people over time influential? And he came to discover these two concepts called the character ethic and the personality ethic. He invented this kind of concept is that there's a certain level of leader that really focused on what he called the character ethic, who they were, their values, their mission, their purpose, whose lives were governed by principles. And then there was the personality ethic. And he didn't dismiss this, but he said this more kind of came into the 70s and 80s and even 90s around kind of what kind of car you drove and how you spoke and how you dressed. And he didn't dismiss these things, but he said too often leaders in the latter part of our generation became too focused on this personality ethic. So in the course of this 200-year literature review, he decided to write this book called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It had multiple names, had many habits. Finally, he settled on that. And he did not invent these habits, right? He kind of uncovered them. He discovered them. He named them, numbered them, sequenced them. They're all quite rudimentary, which is probably why they're so profound. He sequenced them in a very smart order, and the book exploded. Now, he, I think, hit the right time. He hit a great name. He paid the price to research this and write these amazing stories around his own successes and struggles. He was a religious man. So he had studied, you know, multiple religions and principles that, you know, all of the spiritual leaders had taught for thousands of years. And he also had a good public relations team and a good branding team, quite frankly. And the book has stood the test of time. It turned into this leadership development company. About 24 years ago, his small boutique company, the Cubby Leadership Center, merged with the Franklin Quest Company. That was a public company in Salt Lake City, kind of the arch rival of Stephen Covey. And they merged to become the powerhouse, the Franklin Covey Company. Actually, there was no Franklin. A lot of people think there was a guy named Franklin. Well, Franklin was Ben Franklin, the famous discoverer, if you will, and inventor. And I actually Franklin, thought that too. <laughs> yeah, Franklin Quest, Franklin Quest was a you know, time management company based on a lot of the teachings of Benjamin Franklin, you know, an American hero. And so they, they merged and now have become really the world powerhouse on leadership development, productivity, time management, strategy execution, and building a high trust culture. As I mentioned, Dr. Covey wrote 
gosh, 20 plus books, numerous bestsellers, and uh, passed away eight years ago in his 80th year. But his legacy is, you know, phenomenal. The book sells, as I mentioned, still about 10,000 copies a week. It actually sold 20,000 copies two weeks ago. And that would put you at number one on every list for 30, you know, years. So uh, it's a great read. It's a thick book, uh, but it will transform your life as it has, you know, literally countless millions over a yeah. four decade. Well, I think it's probably one of the most referenced leadership books still. Like when I ask, at the end of every interview I do, I ask leaders, you know, what is a piece of literature they'd recommend? And I've, yeah. this has been this has been recommended often. So it's it's yeah. not it's not yeah. like an unknown book. This is something that's been around and has been referenced and has been used for leadership practice yeah. quite literally since it was written. And yeah. I think that I'm curious when it was first written, was there the same emphasis on on this type of organization that would uh, would help with you know leadership consulting, uh, or was this something that was sort of disrupting or blue ocean when it was first written, when the, when the team was first created, um, was there the type of leadership, I guess, thought leadership and, and consulting that there is today that you see a lot of it now, but I don't know if it was back then. Yeah. I think he was an early pioneer. I think he was a Johnny Appleseed, right. Coming on the heels of, um, you know, Drucker and other work. Mm -hmm. I think, I think there was in the late eighties, an explosion with Ken Blanchard, you know, Gallup came along shortly thereafter. You had a lot of work from a lot of different people in that space. Um, Marcus Buckingham came later, obviously. So I think Dr. Covey was on a fourth or forefront of personal effectiveness. I think he was one of the first people to put a stake in the ground and really define what leadership looked like in organizations and to teach behavior change, mindset change inside of organizations. Our earliest clients, right, were Procter & Gamble and uh, Toyota, Disney, you know, big clients where Dr. Covey was passionate around changing the landscape of how leaders behaved inside organizations. And a lot of that then transferred over into communities, churches, families, your personal life. But he was a pioneer that way. And it's still today, you know, I think the, the content is one of our most adopted contents when we got into organizations, because I think a lot of people have been taught in their graduate programs or their PhDs, process, systems, strategies. But what they haven't necessarily been taught is how do you treat people? How do you behave in a trustworthy way? How do you make sure you are, to quote Dr. Covey, um, a model, not a critic, a light, not a judge? Because we know leaders are the linchpins of cultures and organization. Stephen Covey was evangelizing culture long before it was talked about in boardrooms as valuable as you know, EBITDA, right? Or supply mm -hmm. chain or whatever it was. So he was before his time and will continue for generations to come. I, I, I think that's probably a better way of phrasing it. It was, it was an awkward question asking if there was leadership consultants when he first uh, put this together. But I like the fact that you mentioned he was before his time in terms of yeah. focusing on culture within organizations because yeah. that, that really drives it all. It's everything, right? I yeah. mean, I think it was, it was a kind of a cliche buzzword, you know, I don't know, five years ago. And now engagement and culture, recruitment, retention, behaviors of leaders is, trust me, on the discussion of every risk committee and every boardroom in the world right now. Are our leaders behaving in alignment with our mission and our values? And are they creating opportunity or are they creating risk for our organization? And do you see, do you see more organizations, because I've worked in large organizations before, and 
even though it seems to be something that leaders want to focus on, when it trickles down to frontline individuals, yeah. you still default to some of those probably not so good practices. Yeah. So do you see? I, I think, yeah. Ahead, I, think it's an obs- I think it's an obsession in organizations right now. It has to be. I mean, I heard yesterday where the CHRO of Adidas, after I think a 25-year career, stepped down because, and perhaps she was misquoted, perhaps she was tired. She'd mentioned that, you know, this idea around diversity and Black Lives Matter was kind of a passing phase. I have misquoted her, and mm-hmm. I, hate that that, I hate that that's what's going to be remembered from the totality of her career. I don't know her but I'll pre-forgive her on perhaps her statement. But I think companies are obsessed with culture and leadership right now. And let me tell you why. To your point around first-level frontline leaders, Harvard Business Review published, Scott, a research study a few years ago that said the average age that someone receives their first promotion into a management position is age 30. Yet the average age they receive their first formal leadership development training, age 42. Hmm. And that so for 12 years, they're well-intended people that were usually highly productive individual producers, right? They're promoted into a leadership role with really no awareness or training of what it now takes to be a leader of people. And they're wrecking havoc across cultures, not because they're sociopaths or bad people. They're just bad leaders because they haven't been trained. So I think there is a sea change. I'm not trying to evangelize our products at all. We're on fire because organizations are seeing the liability, the litigation, the lack of speed that comes from not investing in your frontline leaders, which, by the way, now the vast majority of people in organizations report to frontline leaders, right? With the, with the digitization of information and with Salesforce.com and Adobe, other tools, you don't need nine layers or 12 layers of people anymore. You need like three layers. So now you've got, you know, tens of thousands of people reporting to first level leaders who a week ago was the individual producer. Now they're promoted. They don't have the skills. People are going to quit those leaders. We, we know this HR, you know, adage, people don't quit their jobs. They quit bad leaders and corrupt cultures. Mm-hmm. So I think organizations around the world are recognizing if we don't invest in our leadership from the top to the front line, people are going to flee our company and we're going to be having turnover that is unacceptable. It's, I think it's, it isn't a nice to have. It is an imperative to make sure that your leaders are recruiting and retaining the best possible talent. I think the average tenure now is like less than three years of a new associate. Depends I on mean, the business unit, but it's, it's very it, it long. Does. Yeah. It does. It's in, it's, and it's not, it's not going longer. It's going shorter in most cases. And let's also remember that before COVID happened, we were at the lowest unemployment. Oh my so gosh. Companies didn't have the luxury yeah, of having right. poor three leadership. And, three and a half percent in the US, right? And I, it'll come back there in the I think of the next, you know, couple of years or so. It'll be hard, but we'll do that hard work. So where do so so say say you do want to uh, you know upskill yourself as a professional or you want to start your own venture and now you're seeing more and more companies focus on leadership, but it's not taught in, you know, your university or college program. Yeah. yeah. Um do you read a book? Do, where, what's the resource you go to to actually get you know, that, those base yeah. skills that you need to be effective? I'd say three or four things. I, I think uh, I have lots of messes, right? What a book called Management Mess. But uh, the things that I'm actually successful about, uh, I'll use as a bit of a model. Uh, you know, I came to become an executive officer in a leadership development company, so I got some cred on this particular topic. 
Ask me about Six Sigma or lean manufacturing, I got nothing, bro. On this, I got some street cred. One is an insatiable curiosity, right? It is reading. It is just, I, I'm a voracious reader like yourself. I probably read two books a week. I subscribe to 40 magazines. I still read print newspapers. I know I'm a dinosaur, but I'm a voracious and curious, curious reader. Uh, that's the first thing, right? Is constantly be challenging your mindset, your paradigm, your belief system. Second, I think, is being self-aware. Nobody's self-aware. There's degrees of it, right? None of us are as aware as we think we are. Look around your organization. Look around the people in your life, professionally and personally, and ask people, what's it like to work with me? What's it like to be in a meeting with me? What's it like to launch a product with me? Go home to your partner or spouse and say, what's it like to be married to me? The more you are seeking feedback and information on what's it like to be around you, the more self-aware you'll be, the less you'll have blind spots. Because we all have blind spots, right? We don't, our breath doesn't smell as good as we think it does. We're not as funny or as punctual or as gracious. Our jokes don't land. You get the point, right? We're not as talented or as encompassing or welcoming. Make it safe for people to tell you the truth about what it's like to work for and with you. Here's the third thing I'd say, and I wanna, I wanna phrase this carefully because sometimes people misunderstand it. I think the one thing that I did that's been most impactful in my career, next to reading, is friending up. My entire life I have friended up from being a teenager. My friends were always a decade older. When all my college buddies were out you know, at the frat house, I was down at the mayor's office, you know, behind her desk, learning from her or him. I've always friended up people who were smarter, older, more successful, more cultured, more well-traveled, had more bankruptcies, had earned and lost more fortunes. And it was fundamental to my life. I'm, I'm 52 now. Most of my friends are in their 60s and 70s. My wife is actually 12 years younger than I am. And she always wonders when she met me, why are all his friends so old? Why are we going to Greece with people who are 50 and 60? We're in our 30s. But that's how I was so successful. It's because these people took me under their wing and I learned to avoid so many messes. Did not yeah. avoid a few messes, but I avoided a lot because I was always friending up. That's very good advice. Um, I think that that's something that uh, we default to. Um, we default in the wrong direction when we, when we friend up I we think do, to our peer group, right? We, we default to a peer group. We default to people that have, um, I guess, less taxing, like mentally taxing, uh, you know, pastimes and hobbies because it just seems easier. It seems like a, a friend should be a, like a release. And I feel like that's not the right mm. equation for success. It has um, not been for me. The opposite has been true. I, I look back at my impact and it's because of the older, wiser, more mature person who's put their arm around me and taking me into a conference room and said, Scott, you can't say that. Scott, you got to stop doing that. The best advice I ever got was from the then president of Franklin Covey, Bill Bennett. He came to my office in Chicago. I'd been just promoted to be the youngest managing director in the firm. And he said, Scott, you're sitting at a gas station and you're holding a match. And then he sat me down and talked about some specific behaviors that I was engaging in. And mainly it was around keeping confidences and not holding um, things that were confidential, confidential. It's been a problem a lot of my life, less so now as I'm an officer in the firm, but uh, it's, it's conversations like that. The CEO once took me aside and said to me, 
Scott, you make too many declarative statements. And that's all he said. And he walked away. This is my boss, the CEO. And I'll, I'll never forget where I was standing, what day it was, what time it was. But sometimes it's those, you know, more effective people than you. Typically, they're older than you that have a great investment in you and kind of, kind of see where you're headed, even when you can't see where you're headed. And they help you course correct. Now, this is, this is a, uh, a huge question, but I think that you are qualified to answer this. In the age of COVID, and remote work and work from home. And I'm sure this is something yeah. that you've probably covered on your own podcast. Yeah. What are the traits? How do you effectively yeah. lead? How do you keep people yeah. engaged? How do you replicate that yeah. in-office yeah. culture? Two things. First, leaders have to have the right mindset, right? This is your paradigm, your belief system. All of us have deeply enculturated belief systems that come from our parents, our kindergarten teachers, our sixth grade principal, whoever it is, right? Our first boss. And none of us have complete or whole or accurate paradigms about ourselves, about our company, our culture, our industry, the work ethic of people now who are working virtually, right? We have assumptions. We have warped paradigms, belief systems. So a leader's mindset is someone who's willing to challenge what they think is true. I'm asked all the time from people, well, I, I'm frustrated because I'm not quite sure my people are working from home. And I say, that thought has never crossed my mind once. I lead a team, a small team of about nine people. In four months, I got other issues. Are they working is not one of them because if they're not working, that was my fault a year ago because I had not set the culture. I had not set the standard. I had not modeled whether you're in front of me or not in front of me, what it is you're supposed to do. I had not set clear expectations. So first, I think, is the mindset. Your job as a leader is to get work done. With I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it. Each with its own cost and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash Clary. That's netsuite.com slash Clary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit, and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards, and it's the same old story. Tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching my needs. 
I tried LinkedIn jobs and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate on LinkedIn jobs within 24 hours? That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information. But Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeletemecom slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. 
Today's episode is sponsored by Belay. And what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch US-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text success, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. If and through other people. That's profound. It's so simple. If you believe your job is to get work done with and through other people, everything changes. The questions you ask, how vulnerable you are, how much you coach and mentor and slow down and build capabilities. It comes to the next point. If you believe your job is to get work done with and through other people, how you treat your virtual team is are you checking in rather checking on? And again, that's rudimentary. But when that becomes your mindset, I'm checking in. How are you doing? What can I do for you? What are your struggles? What are your fears? I'm scared also. I'm nervous also. I'm struggling with distraction also. My three boys are interrupting my productivity also. I'm working 14 hours a day also. I haven't taken a vacation day in four months also, right? When you can relate to your people by checking in versus checking on, they will feel this. They will see it. They will hear it. I think Zoom, Skype, meetings, rooms, whatever your platform is, is vital for this face-to-face connection. I think they should see you in your environment. You should see them in their environment and make it safe for them to tell you their truth, right? What is it they're struggling with and how can you help to cut the red tape? How can you empathize with them? How can you show empathy? These are small things, not epiphanies, but I think they're culture changing in the new reality, which is massive distraction, virtually no life balance, fear gripping everyone. Am I going to be seen as being productive? Am I going to be seen as being a vital, necessary part of the team, right? Am I learning anything? Do I have any boundaries? I don't know about you. 12 hours is the new norm. It's Mm. not healthy. It's not healthy. We're going to burn out. And leaders have got to set the standard, right? As I mentioned before, be a light, not a judge. Be a model, not a critic. I hope that's helpful. I think it is. I think it's very helpful. I think it's what leaders should aspire to act like. I just find that a lot of leaders have trouble letting go, placing that confidence. Yeah. Just, and, and I don't know how the leader even trains uh, his or herself to, to let go and to allow people to feel that psychological security. And that's something that I'm really, because it all starts, it always starts from the leader and how, they, and how their own mindset and how they perceive themselves and their own uh, effectiveness. And if they can go ahead. No, yeah. Sorry. No, no, please, yeah. Scott, finish. No, that was, that was really where my thought yeah. was going. It's just yeah. how, do you, how do you change your mindset as a leader? How do you trust as a leader? I think first is you look inside, right? I mean, it's an inside-out approach. 
And again, this may sound like pablum, but it's not. It's 30 years of research and success stories and failure stories. Great leaders are vulnerable leaders. Great leaders don't try to be the smartest person in the room. The best leadership book I've ever read isn't ours. It's called Multipliers from Liz Wiseman. This is a profound leadership book. Franklin Covey has acquired the rights to a new course on it. But Liz Wiseman was a leader at Oracle for 20 years. A decade ago, she wrote a book, a book called Multipliers. And the premise of the book is that every day as leaders, we are accidentally diminishing people. It's a natural kind of tendency. And our job is to move out of these nine diminishing profiles to become a multiplier a multiplier of intelligence, a multiplier of creativity, a multiplier of contribution. And when you stop believing that you are, as the leader, the smartest person in the room, when you stop being the genius, but rather the genius maker of others, you transform your culture. Virtually or in person, doesn't matter. So I think as a leader, if you are vulnerable, and you share your own fears, your mistakes, your concerns, and you balance that with humility and clarity. Like, for instance, the nine people who work and report to me, they are uber clear on what I expect out of them. Deadlines, contribution, quality level. There is no ambiguity. Now, one of my talents and one of my weaknesses is you don't need you don't need help predicting what I'm thinking. I will tell you what it is I'm thinking. I am I'm very clear. I am extraordinarily clear on expectations and outcomes. Now, my challenge, Scott, is I sometimes do it too courageously, right? I say it too harshly. I have to work on my diplomacy, my consideration, because you can be very clear and do it in ways that are respectful. So one of my challenges as a leader is to make sure that when I am uber clear, I'm not saying it in a way that is diminishing or offensive or too firm or stern because I have a funny personality, but I also have a bit of a stern personality and I don't know always what it's like to work with me. Mm-hmm. So I try to create a culture where people can say, Scott, actually that was a little bit harsh or Scott, that was a little offensive. When they yeah. say it to me, I don't, I don't get defensive. I say, thanks for saying that. I didn't realize that. I'm sorry. That's an incredible culture to, to foster because uh, that, the feel the safety of being able to communicate that with like that superior is something that I don't think, you know, thinking back to, to my, to my career when I've worked in different organizations, I don't think I've ever felt that before. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I think we should more, we, you're mentioning, you know, this is where, where the future of leadership is going. This is how you, this is how you be effective both inside or remotely. This is what leaders have to focus on. Um, now I, to, to that yeah. point, I'm going to, I'm going to just add to that point. I used to think that, humility was a weakness, that it was you were shy and retiring. Humility is actually born out of confidence. Confident leaders can be humble leaders. Arrogant leaders are incapable of demonstrating humility. That's why when you get on your phone or get on Skype or Zoom with your team, admit, admit you're in your shorts. Admit that, you know, you took a shower four minutes ago. Admit that you two are having struggle focusing. You're not lowering the standard. You're building trust. You're building relationships, right? I'm going to bust my butt today. But like you, I took a shower probably an hour later than I would have, you know, five yeah. months ago, right? My yeah. team's going to get my all, they're all out of me. People, people cleave to leaders that they can relate to. Gone is this sort of chasm, this, you know, 
unrelatability of the leader is here and I'm down here and no, 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 no. That's all gone. Leaders are just people that were promoted a little bit in advance of you and they're being held to enormous account and they're trying their best to keep you engaged. But that's the huge fallacy, right? Is leaders don't create engagement. Leaders create the conditions for others to choose their own level of engagement, high or low. Subtle but prophetic. Well, it's just, it's just changing the, the onus from the leader trying to instill motivation to understanding that motivation is in, internally motivated and yeah. that leader is just enabling. Really. Well said. That's, no, you you said it well. Don't 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 give me any. You're you're no, a masterclass in leadership. Seriously, you let me. Yeah, I interrupted you, and that was rude. I apologize. So thank you for letting me go on that tirade. <laughs> no, it's not a tirade. This is this is incredible stuff. And you know, sometimes when I find myself doing these podcasts, to be quite honest, I'm learning from you, and I'm listening to you, and then I'm like, oh, I have to ask a question after this because <laughs> the, the stuff you're saying, I for me, it's just very interesting because I think that it's so so profound and so important. And hearing it come from somebody that works for a leadership organization, um, I'm just I'm grateful that you're you're sort of speaking Thanks, through all these things. Thanks. Seriously, um, it's very it's very good, and I hope a lot of people listen to this uh, and and can internalize it as they grow through their own careers and whatnot. Because uh, this is the way that leadership has to be, and this is again this is going to be there, there's significant KPI, you know, revenue, um, uh, shareholder advantages to this. So it's not just the high level, you know, esoteric. Uh, n nice human yeah. being yeah. takeaway. There's like there's significant there's significant tangible benefits to leading an organization like this. But can I can I share one one thought on that too? Yeah, sure. My am I uh, the Sorry? biggest takeaway? I, I, I the biggest takeaway from Stephen Covey was is actually in the title of his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It's often misquoted as the Seven Habits of Highly Efficient People. Now, he was very deliberate. Because there's a difference between having an efficient mindset and an effectiveness mindset. And one of my biggest struggles, Scott, as a leader, I'd love to have your leaders, your listeners identify with or just mm -hmm. uh, repudiate, <laughs> is that I'm a very efficient person. It's actually served me very well in life, right? I like to get things done, check things off. I'm the kind of guy that gets up at three in the morning and writes my ink column, writes my books from from four and five. I'm a dad from six to eight. I'm an officer from eight to six. And I'm, I'm a, always on a treadmill. It's actually been a key contributor to my success in life, this efficiency mindset. The problem is people like me, leaders like me that have this productive efficiency mindset, we try to use that same efficiency in our relationships. And it causes havoc inside organizations. You cannot be efficient with people. You can be efficient mowing the lawn, efficient washing the car, efficient managing your social media and typing out a memo or an email. You have to be effective with people. I think that's why the book has been such a famous leadership book is because people like me that built their whole brand on efficiency, doing it fast and smart, they try to move that competency into their relationships and they implode with their partners, their friends, their spouse, their employees, their boss. And so there's a time to be efficient and there's a time to be effective. And I hope that your listeners and viewers think about that today. For those of you who see some of yourselves in me, probably very few of you, be thinking about this quote from Stephen Covey. He said, with people, fast is slow and slow is fast. 
And that can fundamentally transform some of those relationships in your life that might be suffering because you try to speed through them like you post on Facebook. It's a huge lesson for me. It might be like a no-brainer for some, but it's something I struggle with every day, kind of bringing my sense of productivity and efficiency in place when it comes times in meetings, one-on-ones, and conversations where I'm actually trying to build trust with someone, but I'm trying to do it too fast. I, I don't think that's common sense or, or common knowledge or common practice. Um, I think that that's something that we all have to work on. I know as you're saying that, it rings very true for me because I try and develop processes for everything. I think the way that we structure our days, uh, it sounds like very similar. I'm very robotic and logical in the way that I structure my day. But the second I try and carry that efficiency over to 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 my to my partner to my girlfriend it doesn't <laughs> doesn't work you know you think that everyone's going to fit inside this little box and you want your life to run just so but it's not that's not the yeah. case with people right right it right. just doesn't work like that um i did want to ask um you know a little bit about i think it's i think it's topical to speak about what you're doing with the book now so what what is going on with the book what is sean doing what is the new messaging in the book or just maybe not new messaging but expanding on yeah. original messaging yeah. Thank you for asking that. So the book uh, just relaunched in its 30th anniversary about eight weeks ago, not quite eight weeks ago. And we didn't change a single word that Dr. Covey wrote. Not a word. I mentioned that Sean Covey, who is the president of our global education division in the firm, he uh, added new insights after each of the seven habits and beginning at the end and the, and at the um, beginning and the end. And so what Sean did was say, okay, habit one, be proactive. Dr. Covey's dad wrote that section, and then he added about a thousand words on, here's how I saw a school principal be proactive. Here's how I saw a receptionist or a parent. And so he uses broad examples at the end of each of the seven habits on how this principle is still as relevant today as it was 30 years ago when his dad wrote the book. A lot of tangible stories, a lot of some, some stories on his, about his own life. Um, Sean lost a daughter. Um, to depression and suicide uh, about maybe eight years ago. And he shares some tender, heartfelt stories about his own children. He shares stories about his dad and his mom. And also just, you know, in good business international examples of leaders who begin with the end in mind, leaders who put first things first, leaders who seek first to understand, then to be understood. Here's how Sean has seen it happen in their business, in their platform. So that was his contribution. And I think it's going to take the book into a new relevancy for the next 20 years. People who missed out on Dr. Covey, right? There's, there's about a 10-year decade of people where either Dr. Covey had passed or was aging, was in the public eye that didn't have a chance to appreciate his profound wisdom and his research. Again, Dr. Covey didn't invent any of this. He just did a disciplined job of uncovering, sequencing, naming it, and then speaking about it, writing about it nonstop for 30 years, and it's built a seminal book with an endless legacy. But that's also, I think that's also important to note that uh, the, the ideas that shape leadership and business, like nobody, nobody is, is reinventing the wheel in the practice no. that we do, but no. again, it's always right. like common sense isn't common. Right. So we need these types of, of playbooks and blueprints yeah. to be effective because knowledge is lost so quickly, unfortunately. And yeah. I think that we have to keep going back to people that have, that's why you read leadership books from, from leaders that were not just around 50 years ago, but a thousand years ago. Right. Right. Because those practices can still be drawn out. 
But it's just that naivety and just like that ignorance of, of how things have been done effectively before that leads to bad leadership. And perhaps writing about it or speaking about it in a way that's relevant to a new generation, right? With that's sometimes true. I think things can be too easily dismissed. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the classics, right? I mean, I think Peter Drucker and Clayton Christensen and Jim Collins, if they don't keep their brands running and relevant, then, you know, 10 years ago, no one will know who Peter Drucker is. Because quite frankly, I'm telling you, although he's one of the greatest minds of our generation, there is no organization to keep his writings mm-hmm. relevant, right? I'm not sure that 18-year-olds know who Peter Drucker is. I fear that 10 years from now, no one will know who Clayton Christensen is, one of the greatest minds of our generation. He passed about six months ago. A friend of mine on our board of directors, Harvard business professor, right, wrote um, Innovator's Dilemma, Innovator's Solution. And I don't think that his organization will be enduring like Dr. Covey built an organization to keep his timeless principles that he wrote about relevant for kindergarten students and relevant for high school students and first time leaders and board members. All these principles are relevant to every year of your life. What we've done well, I think, is to keep writing about them in ways that are current with new generations. I think that's, I think that's smart. And I think that's what you have to do because it's not going to be Unfortunately, that wisdom doesn't transcend time the way it really should. So you have yeah, to have somebody yeah. that's going to bring it to the, the people that you want to, cons- who, should, who should be consuming it, like bright young yeah. minds, but consuming it in the way that they consume information now. It's about marketing. It's about brand. It's about positioning. It's about type, tapping into the resources and the outlets that people consume knowledge now. You have so many different ways that people are you know, conditioned to consume information than they were 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 40 years ago. So you have to sort of tie it into that as well. But that's more of a, right. just like a brand and a, and a marketing and just understanding, again, like the times and, and what we're, what, you know, yeah. how people learn and uh, assume and, and whatnot. Um, one, uh, one thing I wanted to, to tee up, um, I have just uh, two rapid fire questions to bring out some insights from yourself. But before we go there, uh, was there anything that was uh, in, in regards to uh, the book or any of the messaging in the book, um, some leadership traits, anything that we didn't touch on that you wanted to, that you wanted to go into? You know, other than, than this, I would say probably not. I think a lot of people, of course, have read The Seven Habits, right? People have it on their shelf. But I think it's one of those books that you come back to. It's kind of like, you know, I don't see a lot of movies. But I see Austin Powers multiple times. I loved Austin <laughs> Powers. I know it's kind of crazy, but I was obsessed with Mike Myers. And I loved Austin Powers. I've seen it way too many times. But I think this book is kind of like the similar movie for me. Revisit it. I don't need you to buy a new book. We don't, we don't need your $9, right? Or your $15, although we'll take it graciously and with great um, appreciation. But it's the kind of book you got to repurchase it. Because what Sean Covey added to the book in terms of new insights, I think can help you supercharge your own effective habits for your roles as parent, neighbor, son-in-law, partner, spouse, leader, colleague, friend, and just really get your own life centered around what your purpose and mission are. It's probably the book of its generation around helping reorient you to what you've said, right? Common knowledge isn't common practice. Mm -hmm. Dr. Covey was fond of saying to know, but not to do is not to know. And we know these principles inherently, but I think reading them and revisiting them probably every year or so can continue to keep you grounded on your true purpose and make sure that you're living in accordance with what you know to be true, but you're tempted to sort of separate from because there's so many demands or so many distractions mm-hmm. in life. Very good. Very well said. Um, okay. So, so rapid fire, uh, I asked these to everyone. Um, so first question would be, 
What is one life lesson that you would tell your younger self? Shepherd your credit score better. <laughs> is from early in life, resist all of those things that are outwardly focused, right? For the ladies, what kind of purse you bought, for the guys, what kind of sneakers you have, the Mercedes or BMW you really can't afford, is be very thoughtful about your long-term reputation, uh, your, your credit reputation, and also your personal reputation, right? Your reputation is really just a collection of all the decisions you make in life. And next to your soul, if you're a spiritual or religious person, it probably is your most valuable asset. So manage your credit score well and manage your reputation well, um, additionally. Very good advice. And, and the, the last question um, would be, what would be one resource outside of this book? You've actually mentioned yeah. one, but another, yeah. another one that you would say people yeah. would go check out. Next to Multipliers by Liz Wiseman, which I think is a phenomenal book. David Epstein wrote a book called Range about nine months ago. This book talks about the difference between people whose careers are those of specialists and those who are generalists. And for me, it was a prophetic learning around, I'm a generalist, right? At a cocktail party. Am I an author? Am I a speaker? Am I a podcast host? Am I I'm a salesperson? I'm a leader. I'm a sales manager. What am I? Versus I'm an anesthesiologist. I'm a mm -hmm. commercial airline pilot. I'm a dental hygienist. And that I think a lot of specialists later in life might have wished they were generalists. And a lot of generalists wish they were specialists, but he gives license to how generalists are probably going to be the future of innovation and creativity, generalists. Mm -hmm. It isn't just one or the other, but to me, I found it to be a prophetic understanding of owning and appreciating being a generalist. And I think in our 20s and 30s, a lot of generalists are insecure when we look at the podiatrist or the patent attorney, right? Or the person who's got a specific chemical engineering degree like my brother has. And then I think later in life, I really come in to appreciate, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I was a generalist because now I can be on your podcast because my knowledge base is so broad mm -hmm. and I hope somewhat useful because of the generalist insecure path I took in my 20s and my 30s. And I think that generalist path that David writes about in his book, Range, comes into itself in your 40s and your 50s and your 60s. I think most C-level people perhaps other than a CFO, came there through a generalist path. Very interesting. That's an interesting uh, perspective, but I think that it's manifesting itself in the amount of side hustles and, and, and career transitions that yeah. people are going through in their, in their 20s and 30s, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think yeah. Most, most CEOs in the 70s and 80s came up through engineering, came up through product development, came up through sales. And I think if you're looking at the entrepreneurs that are just crushing it, is they weren't specialists. They were generalists. They learned to do this and do this and do this. And they learned about that and had this insatiable curiosity and they could sell and they could market, they could develop. And now together that built this unprecedented range of skills that David Epstein writes about. Read this book and it will fundamentally change which path you choose to go down and maybe how you even as a specialist choose to better appreciate generalists and vice versa. Very good. Good recommendation. Um, Thank you. Where did people, yeah, I've never, I've never had that recommendation before, so I appreciate it. I'm, I'm going to go download it now and, uh, and I'll, get a, I'll get an audible going. Um, what, uh, what's the best place to go, um, go learn more about, uh, you know, the, the 30th anniversary launch of Seven Habits? Yeah. Uh, go, what's yeah. your social website, all that stuff? 
Yeah, it's all easy to find, right? Visit franklincovey.com. Uh, we have, you know, it's, it's easy to find the seven habits. You can buy the book anywhere. We'd love to partner with organizations on how to build their cultures and their leadership skills. You can find me on LinkedIn. My wife says it's hard not to find me. That isn't a compliment. But you can find me on Twitter, Facebook. I'd love to have you connect on Instagram. And if you Google On Leadership with Scott Miller, that's the name of the podcast I host. You can subscribe to that as well. That's all for today. Thanks again for joining me on another episode of the Success Story Podcast. You can download or stream this podcast wherever podcasts are available, including iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many others. You can also watch this podcast on YouTube. If you haven't already, please subscribe and share this podcast with your friends, family, coworkers, and peers. Please leave us a rating on iTunes. It takes about 30 seconds as it allows other people to find our podcast and lets our amazing guests reach even more people with their message. And remember, any rating is fine as long as it contains five stars. I'm Scott Clary from the Success Story Podcast, signing off. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it, each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash Clary. That's netsuite.com slash Clary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit, and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards, and it's the same old story. Tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching my needs. I tried LinkedIn jobs and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a quality 
qualified candidate on LinkedIn jobs within 24 hours. That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information. But Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay, and what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch U.S.-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text 
success, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay.